all of this that I'd ask the listeners to really remember in this area is something that we call advantage blindness. And that's when we have labels and titles that convey status and authority, we're often the last person to really notice the impact that those labels have on other people's voices. It's not until we don't have the labels and titles that we can look at them and go, wow, you know, they make a real difference in terms of who gets heard around here. And so we have to have the capacity to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to see ourselves as other people see us. And where leaders and managers are concerned, recognize that we're probably more intimidating than we realize. Welcome to the Leading Transformational Change Podcast. Our passion is to help you lead and develop organizations with a remarkably healthy culture that can positively impact all of its stakeholders. Every other Thursday, we drop hour-long conversations with world-leading researchers and experts on culture, ethics, change, and leadership. My name is Tobias Sturluson, and I'm your host and the co-founder of Art Management. Several years ago, I had my team fill out a survey to provide feedback on their experience of the culture at my former company, including my leadership style. The results left me in shock. Why hadn't they told me if they really experienced things this way? I mean, I don't bite. Are you great at listening? Like me, there's a chance that you aren't as great as you think you are. When we are in positions of power, it's very easy to forget the way our power and position influences others. It might not be our intention to silence others, but it happens anyway. And as the culture gets silent, we lose new initiatives, suggestions for improvements, learnings from failures, diversity of perspectives, critical values dilemmas, warnings of unethical behavior and compliance risks. A culture of speaking up and listening up is super important, but it doesn't just come by default. We need to build it with intentionality and awareness of our blind spots. Some time ago, I found a really helpful and practical book called Speak Up, Say What Needs to Be Said and Hear What Needs to Be Heard, written by Megan Rates and John Higgins. It builds on their two decades of research and extensive experience helping organizations build a culture of listening. And today, I'm so, so glad to be able to bring you a conversation with Megan Rates. Megan is a researcher and professor in leadership and dialogue at Ashridge Executive Education, part of Holt International Business School. She's ranked as one of the top 50 management thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50, and she's on the 2021 HR Most Influential List of Thinkers by HR Magazine. Before we jump into this conversation, I wanted to encourage you to rate, review, or share this podcast. It helps us get the word of healthy culture into the ears of more leaders, HR, and ethics professionals. And I guess you know as much as I do that we need that so, so much. But now, without further ado, let's welcome the brilliant Megan Rates. Megan, it's 
an absolute joy to have you on the podcast today. It's lovely to be here, Tobias. Thank you for the invitation. So in Sweden, we have very much an ongoing conversation about a widespread culture of silence and particularly in the public sector. And I, I know enough to, to know, and, 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 you, and I think you could share your perspective on that as well, but that this is not a, a Swedish phenomenon, but it is something that we see in organizations around the world. And I've worked with organizations in the US that have been facing these issues as well. And you've done so much important work on both how to speak up and, and listen up. And I really want us to give a lot of time in this conversation to talk about how we can listen up because I think that's so incredibly important. But just to start our conversation off, what led you to focus on researching on speaking up and listening up and, and how can silence potentially harm an organization? So I've been researching and practicing, I suppose, in the area of communication inside workplaces for about 20, well, more than 20 years now, I think. And uh, I studied for a PhD about 15 years ago that explored dialogue in organization. It explored, well, what does dialogue mean? What's the experience of dialogue? What gets in the way of dialogue? And during that process, I became really interested in power inside organizational systems and how that's constructed and how that gets in the way and influences hugely what gets said and who gets heard. And I also became really interested in how we, particularly as a leader or a manager, how we show up with one another in the workplace and how that then affects what people say and what they don't say. Um, so that's the sort of background to why I've been exploring with my co-author, co-researcher, John Higgins, the topic of speaking truth to power uh, for the last eight years specifically. And it's enormously pressing for organizations. You're, you're right. It most definitely is not just Sweden. <laughs> it's, um, it's pressing for a number of reasons. When we first started the project about eight years ago, something that was on clients' minds a lot was compliance and ethics and conduct and safety and getting people to speak up. Uh, and that's why a lot of people came to me back then and they they still do that's still a uh, you know an imperative for organizations and relies on people's ability to speak up and be heard uh, then there was a, there was a great deal of interest a few years later on agility and innovation and that's a big one still you know organizations wanting to transform and be agile you can't be agile or innovate unless you have people challenging ways of working and speaking up with different sorts of ideas. So that was kind of, that's another reason why it became and is still really important. And then more recently, a big focus, thank goodness, on inclusion and how do we include difference, difference in perspective, um, difference in experiences inside our organization systems. And of course, to do that, 
you need to be able to spot patterns, you know, whose voice gets heard round here and whose doesn't and what consequences does that have and how do we start to shift and change it? And so um, the most recent area that I've been exploring is in employee activism. So employees wishing to speak up far more around wider social and environmental issues. And that's a, that's a trend that organisations are grappling with. And it's another final reason why the topic of speaking up and listening up is right up there on the agenda. That's that's so, so fascinating and, and, and helpful. And as I said before our conversation, I would have loved to just go go on a, on a tangent with you on, on employee activism and, and really discuss that. And then we'll see if we get get an opportunity to talk a bit about that. But but I, I I really wanted to talk about how we can can listen up. And as I was preparing for this interview, I, I was thinking about this uh, fantastic or horrifying scene in, in, in the American TV series, The Office. So, so if there's any Office fans out here, uh, um, you, you might have watched this. I'm, I'm definitely a big, big The Office fan. So there, there's a character named Robert California who's interviewed for a regional manager position. And Mr. California, he has this aura that, that leads people to fear and, and revere him at the same time. And, and when asked whether he will make sure that the employees are heard, which is it's very clear that, that they won't be, he answers, the fallacy is it's up to the object whether it will be flattened or not. And and uh, while uh, Mr. California is, uh, of course, an over-the-top kind of TV character, I've repeatedly heard similar arguments, either said expressly or, or just kind of been assumed that it's not up to me whether people are speaking up. It's up to them. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dangerous. I don't bite. They can just go into my office. My door is always open. So... What would you say to a leader who argues that it's kind of all in the hands of the employee or their colleagues to speak up? Do you know what? It certainly isn't just the office. It's that's the, that conversation that uh, happens. I hear that. I've heard that really recently. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was with a senior executive team and a chief executive who pretty much said exactly what you said. Uh, they said, well, if members of the team don't speak up, that's their problem. You know, we need to get new members of the team. Now, uh, in the very first organisation that I studied in depth, again, about eight years ago when we kicked the project off, the leaders in this organisation said to me, Megan, we've got a bit of a problem because these people, it was the junior employees, it usually is, or the middle managers, these people aren't speaking up and they have to, they need to be more assertive. So can you kind of go and make them fix them? Yeah. <laughs> fix them, go and fix those broken people. Uh, and of course I went over to have a conversation with they, and, uh, the very first quote that I recorded in my research is one that I, I use a lot, uh, because they said, quote, if you speak up round here, you disappear. <laughs> and so right from the very beginning of my research, it became utterly clear that speaking up is a relational activity. Speaking up depends on the listening up 
and vice versa. The two are in connection with one another. And uh, leaders and managers, especially or people in positions of power that very often feel like they can speak up quite easily without consequences, make a very big mistake when they assume that other people should be able to do the same. Um, and I interviewed a, a wonderful guy called Ian Wilkie recently, who founded an organization called 50 Million Voices, uh, which focuses on encouraging and supporting supporting the community of about 50 million people in the workplace globally who stutter. And a quote that's well known in that community and that he relayed to me in the interview was, how you show up affects my voice. And so that's something fundamental for leaders to understand is how they show up affects the other voice. And you ignore that at your peril. By all means, you know, I've seen leaders just sit there with their arms crossed and say it's up to them. And if you do that, it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk. You will not hear the uh, ideas that your organization relies on. And you will be possibly the last person to know that something has happened that will bring the entire organization down. And, you know, very often when we see organizations on the front page of the newspaper, it is when, you know, this mistake has happened. People are expected to speak up, but there's no attention on how to create an environment which, in Amy Edmondson's words, is psychologically safe. So the, the first article we wrote for HBR actually was called The Problem with Saying My Door is Always Open. And it's a lovely invitation to make. Uh, and it relies on the fact that they need to come to me as a leader. They have to come to my space uh, at a time when I have my door open and then I will listen. And that's enough to put a lot of employees off. So, so, so true. And just thinking about how, I mean, thinking about different different experiences where you've seen that, how how people are and, and how I personally have been unaware of my position of power, my position of privilege and how that influences people around me. And, and I really wanted to, to talk about power since it plays such a, such a vital role. And you're right in your book that power and its consequences are so often ignored or unseen, especially by those who have privilege. So how can we as leaders, and I know many here are HR professionals, ethics professionals, and so on, who are, I mean, both, of course, need to think about themselves, but also are supporting and leaders in, in, in this kind of work. So how can we think about and understand our position of power and the impact that it has on others? Because I guess it starts with that understanding for us to be able to to change how we approach and listen up better. Yeah, power plays a big role in my work. And it's really interesting the number of organizations I come across that are running speak up campaigns, uh, but not at any point considering how power status and authority is constructed inside the organization. And we don't talk about power because it's a bit you know, it's a bit awkward. It's a bit tricky, isn't it? But if we don't talk about it, ironically, of course, we won't change who gets heard or which voices get heard. 
So we need to make the subject of power more tangible and easy to talk about. And the way that I do that is I talk about titles and labels. Um, and often when I'm with a group, I'll, I'll say to them, notice how you're labeling me right now. Now, of course, some people listening to this may have come to this podcast as a result of seeing a picture of me, you know, on social media, uh, recording, you know, and a little little excerpt of today's conversation. So they'll have seen what I look like and they'll have labelled me in that process. They may not have been conscious of that, but they will have. Other people will just be listening to my voice, but that doesn't prevent us from labelling. So probably all of the listeners at some point, consciously or unconsciously, has la have labelled me as female, British. If they've seen a picture of me, they'll know I'm white. They'll know I'm an author or a professor. So I've got a pile of labels already put upon me. And these labels and titles convey different levels of status and authority depending on where you are and depending on the context. So to give you a practical example, if you have the label of HR on your forehead, so to speak, in some organisations that will be high status and you'll get heard when you speak and you're expected to speak up. And I work in other organisations where if you're from HR, it's low status. It's really hard to get heard because other departments labels such as sales or commercial or operations have higher status. So organisations are very different. Uh, and obviously hierarchy is one of the biggest labels that impacts uh, voice and so what we need to understand is in our particular context, in our particular organisations, what labels affect uh, who gets to speak up and who gets heard? And how do we start understanding what labels we place on ourselves and on other people that affect those patterns of behaviour? As a leader, we often occupy, we often have more than just one advantaged label, if you so to mean. We have our hierarchical label, but of course, still very prominent, uh, particularly in Europe, is a gender label, probably male, probably white. You know, these labels combine to convey a particular level of authority and status. And so our experience is very different from other people's experiences when that's the case. And one thing that we've explored out of all of this that I'd ask the listeners to really remember in this area is something that we call advantage blindness. And that's when we have labels and titles that convey status and authority, we're often the last person to really notice the impact that those labels have on other people's voices. It's not until we don't have the labels and titles that we can look at them and go, wow, you know, they make a real difference in terms of who gets heard around here. And so we have to have the capacity to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to see ourselves as other people see us. And where leaders and managers are concerned, recognise that we're probably more intimidating than we realise. Let's just uh, repeat that again. We're probably more intimidating than we realize i think that's that is such a such a good assumption to 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 hold and 
I want to talk a little bit more about the kind of culture of silence and something that I've been seeing a lot lately is that cultures of silence can look very different. And I think about if we take three examples, and I think maybe the, the first one is the one that I would more assume to be the typical one before, which is this kind of high pressure environment with an authoritarian leadership or, or very domineering leadership. We think often that it would be a man uh, in an organization and, and where that kind of silences everyone else. In another, it might be an environment. And this is something that I've seen recently in an organization where you have a culture where everyone is super encouraging and positive and it's like, yes, yes. But what I realized as they were facing trouble that there was not at all an environment where people felt safe to bring or felt okay to bring up concerns because you felt you don't want to be negative you don't want to and so on which which really led to to a lot of of neg negative things something else that i saw just just the other day is is like this uh senior leader who is like just intelligent and passionate and she just came in and had kind of very clearly all the answers but where it was and 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 you know and she was believing in radical transparency and all of that or at least she said that but it was very clear that nobody in that room would would question her because she was so bright and so smart and and, and so on so how with with kind of all these different perspectives and and you just correct me if i'm wrong on on, on anything anything that i've described but what how how can we kind of assess in our organization in our culture whether people feel and i understand that it's relational so it might be hard to say as a whole of course it might be with this person it some, looks like this with this person it looks different but i also think that there's something in in the general environment that we create so how can we assess that or understand that mm, i i love the way that you've described those three different situations of silence and it's definitely, I come across all of those. I, I have current clients that I'm working with that fit in each of those categories. Um, and there is a bit of an irony around how do we assess whether we've created a speak up culture? Uh, because as a leader, you can't, you know, you can't really lean forward and go, can you speak up? Is, is, it, is everybody feel okay about speaking up? Although I have to say, it is amazing how many leaders do do that. And they turn to me completely with a straight face and say, I've asked my team whether they can speak up and they assure me that they can. And it's like, okay, <laughs> might need to challenge that. So some ways of assessing it are to notice what experiences are like. So for leaders and managers, I often, again, very pragmatically say, when was the last time you were challenged? And who challenged you? And when was the last time various different categories of employees challenged you? When was the last time you got challenged by a junior employee or a middle employee or somebody that directly reports to you or a peer? So who's challenged you recently? And, and occasionally uh, I do get some quite blank, confused faces. Uh, if people aren't challenging you, it probably means that there's something going on around the ability to speak up. Similarly, when's the last time somebody stuck up their hand and offered an idea and would you call that a habit in your team is it habitual that people offer ideas 
is it habitual that people say that they disagree and they have a different perspective? You know, is that something that you see happening? If it's not, then that kind of raises a little bit of a question. Do people speak openly about mistakes? You know, that's another really nice way to track this is what happens when someone makes a mistake that can tell you quite a lot about a speak up culture. And I was interviewing a, um, a leader in the retail industry a while back, and she had a really, uh, really good quote. She said, I, uh, we, we really make sure that our senior executive team spend a lot of time in stores listening because you can't delegate your listening responsibility to pulse surveys. And, and, you know, that's what we end up doing. We end up kind of relying on surveys as, as an indication, but that doesn't, that is not as good as getting out there and getting stuck in where the action is and seeing what's really going on. So I think that's also an interesting one. And I think the final thing I'd say is what my favorite research question when I'm inside organizations is what happens around here when you speak up? What happens when you speak up? And I think that's a great question for people to just reflect on. What's their experiences and what are other people's experiences of the consequences of speaking up? I mean, I, I remember a leader that I spoke to who said that, and I, I we talked about kind of how, how does he like kind of assess the, the health of the culture in the organization. And he said that I, kind of walk around in in the room when when one like people gather and kind of listen to the language and and so on and hear what's but but I but I'm thinking that a that a problem with that is that the I think the language changes as the leader walks into the room and and so so I think that there's a lot of importance in the things that you said as well kind of is there a habit of challenging is there a habit of 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 yes yeah I I just I, I, just to make one other aspect clear here is that there might be some groups that are speaking up and some groups that feel unable to speak up. So there is a trap here that sometimes um, as a manager, you might say, well, yes, no, people do speak up in my meeting and they do offer ideas and they do challenge. But then when you look at who's doing that, it's only a particular sector of employees. So we know we've just done a very big analysis of our most recent survey data. We've surveyed about 12,000 people globally. And speaking up is um, affected both by gender and ethnicity. So we know that if you are a senior white male, you are far more likely to speak up and expect positive consequences as a result of doing it. So you not only have to ask whether people are speaking up, you have to ask who is speaking up and who isn't. And that's a, a really important um, caveat around what I was just saying as well. That is that is so, so helpful. And you, together with John Higgins, your, your co-author and, and co-researcher, you have developed a framework that you talk about in your book speak up and and just really want to say for people who haven't read that book really encourage you to to get it it is a it is a really great book and i, I say that about a lot of books on on this podcast but but it's really really helpful and it's really practical 
And and so the framework, uh, you call it the truth framework. And the, the first part is trust. So the T in truth is trust. And, and you write about the importance of whether we trust our opinions and how trusting our opinions too much might also have negative implications. Could you just help us understand what, what that looks like or works like? Yeah. So the truth framework is really identifying some of the most common factors that affect whether we choose to speak up or whether we choose to listen. And when we talk about conversational habits, so the habits that we have around speaking up and, and listening up, if we want to disrupt those, if we want to change or transform them, similar to any habit that we might have, a good starting point is to understand why you do what you do in the first place. And the truth framework just tries to clarify really, well, why is it that I speak up sometimes and not other times? Why is it that I listen to some people and not other? And the T, yeah, the T starts with trust, as you just mentioned. And in terms of speaking up, I won't speak up unless I trust the value of my own opinion. And it's also got to matter enough for me to speak up. So we have a great phrase, particularly if you're a parent, which is no, um, uh, pick your battles. In other words, understand what matters to you. And, uh, and that will be more likely something that you'll speak up uh, about. Now, of course, uh, many of us would associate with something that we call the imposter voice, um, which is that little voice in our head that says, actually, don't speak up because really you shouldn't be in the position that you are in. And any moment now, everyone's going to discover that you really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, quite a few of us have that little voice in our head. I mean, when you really have an imposter experience, there is a, a visceral feeling of fraud um, but all of us have that kind of lack of confidence voice as well that pops up in our in our head. And, and very often, by the way, um, just looking at the work of Ruchika Tulshian here, um, that imposter voice is a voice that we have from society. It's a voice that society has been telling certain groups of people for quite a while. And we kind of um, we kind of bring that uh, judgment into our own minds. So. Trusting in our own opinion requires that we spot that imposter voice and we see that imposter voice as just a thought rather than truth. And it is quite helpful to be doubtful in our own opinion in some situations. Uh, it's very useful for leaders to know that their opinion is partial and that they have a particular perspective, but it's probably not the right one, and there isn't a right one. So this voice of doubt and mistrust in our own opinion can be really beneficial. And if you don't have any of that, and I must admit, I have interviewed a few leaders that could do with a little bit more doubt in their own opinions. If you have no doubt, of course, then that's very dangerous territory. But there's probably a very useful middle ground where we kind of question our opinion, but we have enough confidence as well uh, and belief in it uh, to speak up around it. And, and trust is all around uh, that area. 
That's that's super super helpful. And and you found that we both overestimate our ability to speak up and to listen up compared to other groups. And could you help us understand that data? I, I just found it so so fascinating, and I, I think it correlates a lot with with Anton Brunsell's work on how we kind of have positive illusions about a variety of, of, of character traits, but but especially hyper illusions than when it comes to how honest we are or, or ethical we are. But but talk to us about, about that perspective or, or that data. Yes, yeah, so that's really clear data in the survey results. So I'm not sure, have I ever worked with a group that doesn't rate their own ability in listening in particular higher than their peers or higher than the people senior to them. So we tend to say that we, especially with listening, but very often with speaking up as well, we tend to say that we're pretty good at it. And that's because of something that we call the superiority illusion. We rate ourselves on our intent. We rate others on their behavior. And there's a gap. (laughs) So uh, part of what the work I do with senior teams is to gently, well, not gently, actually, with, with yeah, well, brutally, but with a twinkle in my eye, uh, let them realize that I'm afraid they're not as good as they think they are and that their teams are not experiencing them as good a listener as they are rating themselves. And this superiority illusion is really important because if we think that we're already really good listeners, we will then wait for our colleagues to get better at listening and we'll think that we're fine and we don't need to do anything. But unfortunately, we're all thinking that. And so nobody changes. Nobody, you know, nobody does any of their own work. And that's the danger. And I mean, this this is such an incredibly important point, and and I really want all of our listen listeners to 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 really uh, just really take this in. And and I've I've been hammering a lot on this podcast on on the concept that I think that one of the most dangerous traits of a culture is the assumption that we have a healthy culture because that will kind of lead us to not listen to to kind of all the different data or, or messages that would actually tell us where there are vulnerabilities. And I, and I think this is exactly kind of the, the same kind of point that, that this su- superiority bias, it actually hinders us from growing. It hinders us from becoming better. And we assume that we're all, and I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many leaders that I've met. And, and, I, and, and again, looking to myself, I think the same is as true of, of, of me that we overrate and and because of that we don't see that the problem might be with us and of course then you have a non-starter in, in that, that sense so 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 the the second part of the the framework is risk and you bring up two perspectives on this and i, I want us to, to bring up both but to really focus on the second one but what, what are some of the risks that we perceive of speaking up? So we have stories in our mind around what will happen if I speak up. And those stories usually are fueled by what happened last time I spoke up, what happened last time a colleague spoke up. 
Uh, and they can even go right the way back to childhood. You know, what happened when I spoke up when I was growing up? Did I learn when I was very young that it was good to speak up or that I shouldn't speak up? In particular, did I learn that it was okay to challenge authority or it wasn't okay at all to challenge authority? And there's cultural differences on that one in particular. Um, so when we examine risk, we look at the stories that we have and we generate about the possible consequences. Now, from the research, two of the most uh, popular, I should say, fears are the fear of being perceived negatively and the fear of upsetting or embarrassing another person. So we're social beings. We like to be in relationship and we like to belong. And so if we feel that speaking up risks the relationship, then we'll often stay silent. So that's a really big one. The other big one that I would uh, identify from the research is the risk of being ignored. So that's a really big one. I mean, often you're looking at about a third of people that we survey think it's likely that they would be ignored if they speak up with a problem. And that's a, a big risk and a big fear factor. And it means people sort of shrug their shoulders and go, well, actually, there's no point. So I'll stay silent. And that's a that's a big problem and takes these stories, you know, take a long time to disrupt. You know, that that story that I told at the beginning of this podcast about the first organization that I work with when they said, you know, you disappear. That story, when I dug into it, was generated from something that had happened seven years before, yep. Yep. three different chief executives ago. And this story was still going strong. So the stories take a long time to, um, uh, to change and to disrupt. And just another mention that our perceptions of risk and the very real consequences we are likely to face, again, differs by gender and also by ethnicity. And so we've again got to remember that what might seem perfectly safe to one person might seem and in fact definitely isn't safe to another. So risk is also a, a, a quite a complex area when you dig into it. So, and, and we're, we're going to talk about the, the other side of this but i think you said something so important there uh, about stories and and i remember we we had uh, stan slap on this podcast uh, quite quite long time ago and he talked about that the stories of when a person might have been fired it it might not even have been directly connected to them speaking up but that's the only data that the culture has kind of speak up two months later, fired. I mean, I've, I've seen organizations like this and I've worked with organizations like this. And I even think that sometimes we have to shift the narrative. We actually have to address the narrative. We have to address what happened. And we we actually, I mean, if, if that, if, if we made a wrong move, there we actually need to to apologize for that we and when we need to create new stories and we need to be very like very very intentional on doing that of what be, because I, I think i mean a culture is so much shaped by the hero stories or or the villain stories 
And and so so if that is a villain story, we need to create hero stories uh, that that relates to people actually speaking up when it was something of of like of substance and not just oh they like and not, not something that 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 doesn't really mean anything. Uh, so um, the the other side of this then from a listening up perspective. So of course, as you talked about, when we speak up. We have all these images of, of what the risks are that that might be very, very, very major. And as you said, I mean, for somebody who has for certain ethnicities and and gender, it might be even more major. But then, from a listening up perspective, how do we then perceive the risks that others face or or should be concerned about? Mm-hmm. This is really the, at the center of most of my research is how do we burst what we've called the optimism bubble. So in our data, it, again, very clear pattern. As you get more senior, you overestimate the degree to which people are speaking up. You overestimate your listening skills and you overestimate your approachability. And that means you underestimate the kind of challenges that are existing out there. And so how do you start to, well, first of all, assume that that's the case. You know, assume that you're not hearing everything that is going on. And, and if you think you are, then you're probably in the, in the danger territory. Um, and we need to have an ability to see ourselves as other people see us not how we like to see ourselves. And and again, going back to that, you know, you're more intimidating than you think. This is quite a tricky one for, for many managers and leaders um, because a lot of managers and leaders that I talk to don't feel particularly powerful. So the idea that somebody else thinks that they are is a bit <laughs> counterintuitive, but of course we are. So how do other people perceive us how do other people perceive us is a really important thing. And, and, and most of us think we're lovely, you know, and approachable. Uh, and even if we are, we have to understand that people will still feel it's risky speaking up to us. So we need to do a lot more work than we realize. And, you know, going back to these stories, we need to create story, different stories through our ability to respond differently when people speak up. That's that is so so helpful and and so the third uh, part of the framework is understanding and and you talk about different kinds of office politics. So how do they influence whether people are confident and feel safe to speak up? Politics here is is when I talk about it is really about people's agendas real agendas and the power and the the power relationships that people are in and one way of thinking about this is when we join a new team you know when you join a new team and you kind of have that first big team meeting and you're sat there and you're sort of looking around the table or around the zoom screen depending and you're looking around and you're you're sitting there thinking to yourself okay how does it work around here you know what's going how does how, what are the rules of the game as i call them who has the power what's really what really matters to people not what they say matters but what really matters and speaking up is a political act 
And it will very often affect people's agendas or it will affect perceptions of power and authority. And sometimes when we have more awareness of that, it becomes a little bit easier to speak up in a way that will be heard and have impact. And preferably, you know, when we're speaking up, we're able to find some sort of common agenda, common priority with the person that we need to hear us. And that really, you know, really helps us. But politics gets in the way of listening as well. You know, and again, if you're in a position of power, you need to realise that there is a lot of politics going on underneath you that determines what you get to hear and what you don't get to hear. And you need to be able to kind of kind of break through that smoke screen in order to find out what's really going on. Thank you so, so much for that. And, and, and the fourth part of the framework is titles. And I, I'm just thinking that I think we've talked a lot already about power and, and titles. So I'm thinking that we're jumping to the fifth one, which is how to speak up and, and listen up with, with skill. And of course, you've already given us so, so many different tips. But in terms of listening up, if, if we focus on that, what are some ways that, that you've seen in your research and your work that are really helpful ways for leaders to listen up in a competent and skillful way. So let me give you a, a little framework that we talk about a lot. And it's very practical. It's called the five W's. And the five W's stand for who, why, what, where and when. Whose voices aren't you hearing that you need to? Why do you need to hear them? What's the imperative? What happens if you don't hear them? What verbal and body language do I use in order to help people to feel safe to speak up? And where and when should I make that invitation for people to speak up? Again, in a way that they feel that they can safely do that. And just to give you a very quick sort of example here, uh, one I often use is two managers that I was, work was working with at the same time. And both managers wanted to um, convey a strategy to their team and then get some feedback on it. And the first one did, you know, stood on the stage and had a very big uh, town hall meeting and did the presentation. And then at the end, literally stood on the on the stage and said, right, can you give, give me some feedback? And that was it. That was the invitation. Whereas the second manager that I work with, very different, you know, smaller groups, much more informal. And she asked um, different groups to take the perspective of different stakeholders. So I'm sure some of the listeners maybe do this. She asked one group to take the perspective of a really key competitor. One group took the perspective of, uh, of a very discerning customer. And another group took the perspective of junior employees. And her question was, from those perspectives, what challenges would you give me? to that strategy that we've just presented. So again, different environment matters, the kind of questions that you ask matter, but also then back to something I mentioned before, how you then respond, okay? So in terms of how to listen up, we'll make sure that when somebody does speak up, firstly, don't expect them to speak up very well, because very often we don't. Secondly, really watch your response in that next moment, because that response 
will impact whether that person chooses to speak up again and probably whether their colleagues do. And the final tip I would give listeners is to watch the signals that you send. You know, what signals do you send that allow people to speak up or in fact shut them up? And and one classic is when you're on a Teams meeting and you're doing your emails. So you're on a Teams meeting and you're doing your emails and people know that you're doing your emails, but we all seem to think that we can do that subtly, but we can't. And if your team are looking at you and they know that you're not present, they probably won't speak up. So what signals are we sending and are we choiceful around them is another tip that I would give um, give listeners to. Thank you so much for this. It's been a really, really fascinating conversation, Megan. I really, really appreciate this. And and finally, I, I just wanted to ask you, and and I'm really, really hoping that I would get another chance to sit down with you and talk about employee activism because there's so there's so 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 much interesting there. But for, for people who are interested in in Megan's thoughts on that, and and you you did a, a fantastic interview together with John with Brene Brown uh, that I can really recommend as well. But so. What are ways that people can connect with you and, and, and learn from your work? So the best place is probably my website, which is meganrates.com. So there's probably more resources than you could possibly want on that. On the Speak Up work, uh, yeah, there's a book that you've mentioned that we've written that's gone into all of the stuff that I've spoken about today, but in a lot more depth and detail. Uh, employee activism, the best, you know, probably the easiest place to go to is the Brené Brown podcast that you've just mentioned. And it ties in a lot with my research on mindful leadership as well. How do we create the spaces where we can speak up and listen up? And I've just started a collaboration with the app Calm, and I have a series and a meditation series on that as well, if that's if that's of interest to listeners. That's that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you for having me, Tobias. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, it really means the world to us if you would share, rate, and review it on iTunes. We're super grateful for all the five-star reviews and generous comments that we've received so far. It really helps us take the message of purpose and integrity to a wider audience. And finally, don't forget to grab your free PDF on leadingtransformationalchange.com. See you in two weeks.